You know the saying about somebody's trash being another person's treasure? In this episode of Hustling the African Dream, we're going to Kenya, where some people are taking this saying, well, literally. Like the rest of the world, Kenya is facing some pretty massive environmental challenges. Deforestation, plastic pollution, and water scarcity, to name a few. And of course, the big one, climate change. But Kenya is taking steps to address these. For example, the country has implemented reforestation programs, established protected areas, and developed renewable energy sources such as geothermal power. But this episode of Hustling the African Dream isn't about government programs. It's about how ordinary Kenyans are taking these problems and turning them into opportunities. Hustlers who invent ways of making a living while at the same time contributing to solving the problems everyone in the world is faced with. I am your host, Sylvia A, and you're listening to Hustling the African Dream. My name is Anita Owiti. Um, I am from Kenya. I work with the Human Science Research Council as one of the Young African uh, Research uh, Fellows. Anita Owiti is a MasterCard Fellow and is the reporter and researcher behind this episode. And while she's been focusing on the opportunities ordinary Kenyans are finding in addressing the environmental issues, the starting point isn't exactly rosy. Kenya, Africa, and of course the world are facing a massive issue in managing environmental devastation and climate change. I would say it is a concern for Kenya, a very huge concern for Kenya. And even if we look at Africa as a whole, um, climate change has been an issue of concern uh, since the 90s, yeah? Uh, that's why we have the Paris Agreement that was signed in '92, and and Kenya being, uh, you know, I think the politicians or rather the the leadership or the leaders of Kenya are also pro wanting or rather they want that Kenya is um, um, is environmental conscious. So the big picture is pretty clear. There's a big problem. But on the bright side, there's also a will to address it. But what does that mean in practice? And not least for the story. Where's the treasure amongst the trash? The opportunities for Kenyans to make livelihoods while addressing environmental issues? Maybe the most obvious one is plastic. From the colorful bags littering the sides of our roads to the keyboards of our computers and the bottles we drink from, Plastic is literally everywhere. And it is arguably one of the greatest inventions of the 20th century. Just think about it. Plastics are critical to modern life as we know it. They've made possible the development of computers, life-saving advances in modern medicine, and they've been essential to the cell phone you're probably using to listen to this podcast right now. Mm -hmm. Plastics are inexpensive and they have raised the general standard of living of ordinary people and made material abundance more readily accessible. But the downside, the trash part of the treasure, if you will, is equally obvious. 
plastic pollution is part of daily life in most of Africa. Take something as innocent as an ordinary bottle. A plastic bottle made from PET takes around 450 years to decompose. Plastic usually erodes into smaller, often undetectable nanoplastics, which make their way into our ecosystems. In recent years, traces of nano and microplastics have been discovered in remote areas of the Arctic Ocean and even within the placentas of unborn babies. The bottom line? Plastics contribute to the destruction of our natural environment, which so much of Africa is dependent on for their livelihoods. Over 70% of people living in sub-Saharan Africa are dependent on the natural environment for their livelihoods. Take Nairobi, Kenya's capital city, which generates an estimated 2,400 tons of solid waste every day, 20% of which is plastic. In simple terms, that's equivalent to 50 million plastic bottles a day, 450 million a month or 5.4 billion a year. If you had to line these bottles up in a row, they would circumnavigate the entire African continent 36 times. And remember, that's just one city in one year. These plastics, when we fail to take care of them, they end up in our water. And uh, some of them are being ingested by their marine life. This is Zablo, the founder of Plogging Kenya, a youth organization with an unusual name that actually describes what they do. No, not jogging, but plogging. What we do, we organize for outdoor events like jogging, walking, hiking, cycling, as we collect waste along the trail. The reason why we do this is because we want, we want to change uh, attitude and behavior in how people handle and treat waste. Plugging Kenya advocates for a circular economy that includes a make, use, reuse, remake and recycle ideology when it comes to waste management. And according to Zablo, we need to change the current model for many reasons. One of them is protecting the life of our waterways and oceans. And uh, so many a times, so without knowing, we find them on our plate because uh, they're being ingested by fish and, and other marine life, which is also part of what we eat. And also some of them are being ingested by the domestic animals some, and, and a, a number of uh, domestic animals have died for having ingested single-use plastics or single-use plastic bags. Uh, as a Kenya, Kenya as a nation, we've made strides by burning this uh, plastic bags and uh, that's a very big plus to the government and also going ahead and also ensuring that we ban single-use plastic on protected areas. So that's, that's a plus, but I think as personally as a young person, I think more need to be done because uh, most of these plastic are not being found in protected areas, they're being found in public, public places. In other words, the places we live, work, play, hustle. In Kenya, one of the places most affected by pollution is Kibera Slam in Nairobi comprising of over one million people, 
Kibera is one of the largest informal settlements in Africa. And like informal settlements in other parts of the continent, the beginnings of Kibera are also found in colonial times. The British colonial government built a railway line passing through Nairobi and some of the workers laying the tracks settled in the area. And this was the beginning of the informal settlement that we now know as Kibera. Like many slums and townships, Kibera is characterized by poor living conditions and inadequate access to basic essential services. Many of the residents of Kibera do not have access to basic waste management services such as trash collection or disposal facilities. And as a result, they often resort to dumping their waste in open spaces, in streams and other areas, which then causes pollution and health hazards. We just dump on the ditch and then we wait for the rain. When it comes, it washes everything to the river. So that was the, uh, our day-in, day-out waste management in the community. This is Brian Gisori Nyambuti. He is an environmental activist with a fascinating backstory you'll hear in a moment. While Brian is now part of a movement trying to address the environmental hazards of his community while making a job for himself, he acknowledges that the relationship between waste and livelihoods is nothing new in places like Kibera. So initially, you know, being poor around the slum, the only free job that you could do is waste picking, selling metals and selling plastics. So we could walk around with sparks the sparks from the radio, then we collect nails, we collect uh, bottles from ditches and uh, ions, and then that's how we, uh, I dealt, I found myself inside the waste picking, but I didn't knew uh, that I'll come to do it as a career job, uh, like as a career in my whole life. So initially we used to be paid uh, two shillings per kilo for the plastics and then five shillings for metal, but now it's, it's changed. Brian is an exceptional individual. His transition from criminality to environmental activist and NGO CEO is outstanding. Here is Anita again to elaborate. She was into drugs and he was, a, you know, a thug, a robber. Sorry to call him that, but that is what he presented. Um, but he was a robber. You know, he went into, into all sorts of things that were just not right. And the fact that he could make a turnaround in his life and want to do better for himself and his community. That is what struck me about him. Uh, very open to speak about um, his experiences. It was quite jovial. I found myself inside a gang. And then when I proceeded to, like I was expelled in one high school, then when I went to the other high school... At Brian's new high school, he met a group of students from Nairobi and they quickly formed a gang. His new friends used their parents' guns to aid in their covert operations. These involve strategic planning that Brian liked to call an organized form, quote-unquote. They stole money and anything else they could get their hands on. However, at some point, Brian decided it was time to turn a new leaf and reinvent himself. So I was thinking on uh, what to do. I found... Uh, a guy who uh, introduced me to tours. I started doing tours in the slum, 
it was it used to call it used to be called Kibera Tours. I realized that I can do something for the people, not only myself. And I started reading extensively. I read a lot. I read a lot of books. I gained a lot of knowledge, and that's how when I came to the slum, I just came and told my guys and a few of the people that we had formed a gang now for the community. I told them we need to change our ways because we had two people lynched, and then we had one who was jailed for a lifetime because he had been found with the bullets and a gun. So it was a really a turning point for the boys that I had. And like many of them were agreeing with the idea of forming a group and doing something uh, positive in the community. Brian literally saw his friends getting killed or going to jail. And his reading convinced him there was a better way to live. But instead of abandoning his friends, he convinced his friends to abandon crime. The gang was no longer going to be a criminal enterprise, but rather a force for good. So what good could a bunch of thugs get up to? So we saw the only good way is coming up and tackling the issue of waste management because we realized that in all of our neighborhood, there is no other youth who are taking waste. Brian started mobilizing the youth in his community, especially those with a criminal past like himself, to embark on a mass cleanup of Kibera slums. He then founded a community-based organization named Slums Going Green and Clean. They started small, they gave out sacks to 50 households and collected the waste every Saturday. Then from there we started growing. We found people who could teach us and tell us you can do this and this, you can separate waste. Initially we used to only separate plastics and sell. We realized that uh, around 80% of waste is food waste only. You find that... Uh, Every household produces food waste on a daily basis, and then we could make compost. Right now, Slums Going Green and Clean has grown to a team of 1,200 members, and it has evolved from a youth organization to a community-based organization that includes many different age groups in the community. From humble beginnings, Brian's initiative now provides jobs and services to the community and has grown into something far bigger than he even imagined. We have a structure, we have a board, we have like leadership, and then we have the grassroots leaders. So the ones who do for us awareness, they do mobilization. At the moment, we collect garbage for 3,000 houses, for 3,280, if I may be specific, houses, on every uh, twice a week because of the food waste now. We realized uh, the food waste can't have uh, like a one week uh, so that you can come to collect, they start smelling. So we always collect two times uh, a week. The NGO has diversified too. Initially, it was only a waste collection enterprise, but now they create compost from the waste that they've collected. They do upcycling of waste and create art like scarecrows that they call puppets that they sell. They also do slum tours for a small fee for people who have never been to a slum. Slums Going Green has creatively and sustainably gone about the waste problem in Kibera slums. And listen to this. Believe it or not, they created an office made of recycled wine bottles, which has inspired similar projects across the globe. We were the first people in this country to make uh, an office out of wine bottles. Yeah, we made... 
What? Yeah, we were the first people to make an office out of wine bottles here in Kenya. And also in the world, we were the first people to make out of glass. We did a lot of research because we found like uh, there were some white people interested. And even for them, there are some who went and copy-pasted the idea. They always take pictures and tell me, we did this because we saw it working in your country. So you find that even if we were in the slum, we have uh, supported like someone in London with an idea, someone in USA with an idea. So for us, we just realized that we can do something. The only thing is for us to be unique. It's obvious that Brian and his colleagues have found confidence in this realization. The world can certainly learn from them, even though they're from a so-called unauthorized settlement like Kibera. But still, the realities on the ground matter and some of them stifle the ability Brian and others have to implement the creative solutions they come up with. Take the history of Kibera, for example. With Kenyan independence in 1963, Kibera was designated as an unauthorized settlement. This means that the government has no obligation to provide basic services and infrastructure. And more than this, none of the residents have any rights over the land they live on. This has presented challenges to Brian and his colleagues' ability to create a unique and lasting piece of infrastructure. We, we had the uh, wine bottle office, but it was brought down because uh, of like a lot of politics in the community. There were some people who were eyeing the space that we had built on. It was not ours, it was for a landlady, and the landlady had to hike the rent so that we could um, pay more or come out from the space. So we saw... They, they were eyeing, they were thinking, is the lady who built the wine bottle? But the lady just gave us space and we built it with our own resources. So when we were going, even, even the, the guys who were interested, they were like, why don't you just leave the structure the way it is? And we were like, no, 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 we are going and we are removing everything. And the wine bottle office wasn't the only thing that has been taken from slums going green and clean. Uh, we also had uh, like a bottle one, a plastic bottle farm for mushrooms, but uh, the railway came and took back their land when they were doing the reclamation of their land. So we just had to let it go. All that remains of Slums Going Green's wine bottle office are pictures. But this hasn't stopped their commitment to finding creative solutions to waste management. As Paulo Coelho said, everyone is just born an artist. Every kid is born an artist. So it's you, it's you to sit down and reflect, think deeply, and you'll find a solution. And you'll find there's something someone can do. There's always something someone can do. Brian's story is truly inspiring. But what is even more encouraging is that Brian is not the only young entrepreneur in Kenya who has taken a creative approach in dealing with the waste problem. Remember the opening line in this episode, one man's trash is another man's treasure? Well, Clement Henry opts for a more literal interpretation of this through his artistic efforts. My name is Clement Henry. I come from Dandora. For Clement, he has used his artistic ability to aid in the waste problem. He's from Dandora, which is a suburb located in the eastern part of Nairobi. It is a densely populated area that is known for its large landfill site, which serves as the main dumping ground for the city's waste. The landfill has been in operation for decades, and its environmental and health impacts have been a major concern for the residents of Dandora and the surrounding areas. 
While others may have been disillusioned by living close to the largest landfill in the country, Clement has seen opportunity. I do community health, environment and development activities. I'm a volunteer in such fields from the society where I come from. Economically, I do jewellery, which uh, I also try to do with the community. I do it uh, majorly through recycling of scrap metals, uh, most most of which we get from a garbage management project collected from within the society and uh, some from the dump site, which is adjacent to where we come from. So I, I began the, 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 the recycling of the scrap metal way back in 1994. As I've told you, uh, I, I, I'm an environment voluntary worker, and this came from realizing that my community lacked somebody to actually handle even from the garbage menace. Clement became a breadwinner for his family when his father became ill. I had no much options from within my surrounding. Uh, my dad thought I would do something different, uh, but end product was encouraging me to be a kind of somebody who can produce such things in future because in, it entailed uh, production of earrings, bangles, made from uh, recycled brass, copper, aluminium, and all those kind of metals. My day-to-day work now entails production of jewellery items from metals and from bones and horns. Like Brian and his organisation, Clement isn't only satisfied with making a living. His work has another purpose, namely to bring his community together. We realised that through the garbage collection that we began sometimes after post-election violence way back in 008. Uh, we were looking for something that would make us get into the society. Dandora was among the places that were most affected by the post-election violence, if you can remember. The post-election violence Clement talks about happened in the aftermath of the 2007 elections in Kenya. It left hundreds killed and hundreds of thousands displaced. And when the dust settled, Clement saw the need for two things. Firstly, to clean up. And secondly, to give his community something to work together on. That, that actually made us to, after the elections, to really think very hard on how we would engage the community in coexistence so that they would at least be able to do things together, work in harmony and get to know one another so that we avoid... Uh, uh, yeah, so... We really had to proceed by initiating garbage management project. This initiative encouraged harmony after periods of violence and it promoted waste management, recycling and upcycling in the community. We met old sufrias, we met kettles. We met all those products that we would recycle to later come and produce jewellery items. So from there we make... We go as far as producing rings, including wedding rings. We make earrings, we make bangles. And even all the other accessories, we can do things like buckles for the leather industry. So generally we work as custom-made artisans. We do much of our designs, but also able to do what you bring for us to do for you in all those material. Yeah.
Clement has used his creativity to turn scrap metals and other waste products into valuable jewelry that adorns the necks, ears and wrists of his client base. His activism has encouraged awareness and combined harmony and waste management to better his community. It is the rule of nature living for others. Because plants do not eat their own food, rivers do not drink their own water. I don't believe it is justice to the young generation when our rivers and lakes are polluted. I don't see justice when big polluters are untouchable. Is it justice for the world leaders to choose profits over lives? So this is why I say today, a new era begins, and we begin to do things differently. This UN Climate Conference is a reminder that the answer is in our hands, and the clock is ticking. While climate change and environmental issues are often discussed at high-level meetings amongst world leaders, the effects are felt mostly by the most vulnerable communities in the world. And while solutions on an international scale are obviously necessary, the work of Zablo, Brian, Clement and others show that there are things that can be done in every community. And sometimes there is great opportunity to be found. Though there is much to be done, ambitious hustlers have taken their well-being and that of their planet into their own hands. For me, what I realize is that um, in the community we have a lot of problems. So even if I'm trying to solve the climate change one, we, are, we have a lot of problems that you find that it's just you to sit down and realize the shortcoming and then you try and find a solution to the shortcoming. Fearless and ambitious hustlers like Zablo, Brian and Clement are at the forefront of environmental protection, raising awareness and getting their communities involved in tackling these issues. These spirited hustlers have taken the bull by the horns and created opportunity in the unlikeliest of places. Next time on Hustling the African Dream,